Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical lead or a practice manager and your primary care network to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to deliver some of your projects and network-based services, I would absolutely love to help you. So come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Now let's jump into this week's episode. Hi and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So on today's episode, I am interviewing Owen Rees-Hughes. Owen is the CEO of Synapsis, a serial entrepreneur and an ENT surgeon. So Synapsis provides a platform where clinicians are connected to understand the problem, the speed in which the patient needs to be seen and who is best to manage that patient as we move forward. As a technology company, they're constantly applying and testing updates and new approaches and always really carefully listening to the needs of the clinicians to make sure their platform and service is as useful as possible. I asked Owen, does he miss being a surgeon? And he said, yes. And in time, he'll return back to that. He said, as a surgeon, how you kind of perfect your craft is through repetition. And I do feel the same skill and attention to detail is required in business as being a CEO and how we learn and how we get better is to do things over and over and over again being and being agile in our approach and cha- and being responsive to the needs and quickly adapting which we all have done in covid and um, it's a fantastic fantastic interview and we jump straight in to what led owen to starting synapsis i'd love to know what you think please share it online and i would love it if you like what you hear if you popped along to itunes and gave the podcast a five star rating and review and i will see you in the next episode Hi, Owen. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. It'd be really nice if you could introduce yourself to our listeners, your background and what has led you to Synapsis. Really, one of the things that struck me as I was doing my higher surgical training in, in ENT was that there was a massive gap between primary and secondary care. And really, that gap wasn't serving anybody. It caused delays to patient getting the right treatment. You know, GPs were often left isolated, not knowing what to do. And often, you know, we would see patients in, in our clinics that probably could could have been dealt with in, in the community. So that's really what drove me to you know, start Synapsis, which really tries to improve the communication between primary and secondary care and, and other different parts of the health system. How big is Synapsis today? Uh, so today we, we're... So we're Growing all the time. So we're about 15 people now in total. What is that 15 people made up of? What are the roles you've got within your organization? 
a good number of them are involved in developing the technology. So you know, we we run one platform, but we you know, then we have kind of applications and web applications and so on. So developing that, maintaining it, ensuring that you know it's up all the time. So quite a number are in that, and the, then the rest of the people in our team are really talking to you know our users, our customers, and prospective customers. You know, understanding their problems and how we can help. So you make that sound really easy. So you're an ENT surgeon, you saw a need, so then you just set up this company. Yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Do you miss being a surgeon? Yeah, no, I, I you know, I absolutely love clinical work for sure. I and I love, you know, the fundamentals of it really, you know, just talking to to patients, understanding their problems and, you know, finding a solution for them, you know, and which, you know, wasn't always an operation actually you know it, it was it was often something else but i enjoyed the operating as well it's it's very satisfying and it kind of appeals to a different part of me to running a company the running company is all about strategy you know building teams and making the right decisions for the longer term where you know being a good surgeon really is about repetition and you know real attention to detail the two aspects really appeal to different sides of me actually but no i do miss it and and you know i will go back to it soon enough we're just getting the company into a you know a stable position where yeah and i I will i will go back to it what informs your decision making in the organization today you know i'm absolutely focused on making synapses really useful for frontline clinicians because i think that is the key to you know all the problems all the kind of macro problems that the nhs has is that you know clinicians find it hard to do what they know needs to be done you know so for example you know we're really focused on on making it very easy for gps to get advice from specialists and you know we know that they're time pressured and you know, so we're really focused on what we can do to make that better. And, you know, we pay a huge amount of attention to detail to that. For example, it determines what systems we need to integrate with. So, you know, we need to integrate with the systems that they're using already. You know, how do we get the information back into those systems? You know, what information do we display to the GP, you know, while they're waiting to be connected? So. So really, that, that's the most important part. And, you know, part of my job is to make sure that the team that's building our technology, you know, that, that they're really plugged into those needs. And we as an organization are listening to clinicians you know, in primary and secondary care, hearing what they say, understanding how we need to respond to that. And yeah, and, and then we do it. So, so I think that, that's what drives my decision making. Uh, absolutely that. So if I understand correctly, if I'm a GP or an advanced clinical practitioner and a patient comes to see me and I think they may need to be referred, instead of making the referral straight away and sending them a left, sending them off and then them waiting, I would use the Synapsis app to say I want to connect with a certain specialist 
somebody we would speak on the phone or we would we'd message each other online I would describe the condition and then the specialist would advise me and I'd pass that on to the patient yeah in in essence yes so I guess if you were designing the health service you know a lot of the ways the normal ways of working wouldn't exist so before synapses you know it was the case that you know if a GP wanted to get advice just advice on a patient you know what what could they do next or they just had a even you know question about medication or or whatever you know if you go back you know five years or so the only way of doing that was to write a letter to the consultant and you know for the patient to be seen in outpatient and then you know they would report back or they would get a letter back now thankfully you know the idea of joining up the health system and allowing better communication between primary and secondary care through you know what what's now called advice and guidance you know people really see the value of that you know where when we started synapsis you know i was kind of explaining this concept to people and they were saying well you know we don't have time or you know once you've experienced that the ability to you know just connect with your colleagues have a conversation you know if if in, if it's something urgent then it needs to be you know over the phone or over video it you know it just needs to be there when you need it other things you know are not that urgent and provided you get a response within 24 hours or so then that's fine you know ideally within the the same shift but so it's about understanding what the problem is how quickly do we need to address that and who is the best person to provide that advice and really that's what synapsis does so the gp has one place that they can say you know this is the problem i'm dealing with at the moment with my patients i need to speak to someone right now about it and you know synapsis deals with that and and connects them to you know a specialist that that is an expert in that particular problem so if from a, a payment perspective does the specialist get paid the same amount if that via consulting over the phone with a GP or another healthcare professional, is it the same as if they would see that patient in their consultation room? That's a really interesting question. So um put you on the spot, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's it comes to the heart of it really. And in a problem, you know, in the problem that synapsis is trying to solve, which is really to support primary care by giving them specialist advice when they need it, but also supporting specialist care, secondary care, so that they can better manage demand. And when we started talking to, you know, acute medics, for example, in the hospital about synapsis, their initial reaction was, you know, and they were, I could see they were brilliant clinicians and I could really see, but they were saying, well, we can see what the benefit is for GPs, but, but what is in it for us? And, you know, we had to really listen to that and understand what, what is in it for them. And really what we understood from talking to them was actually what they value is to be able to control their workload. And, and that's what they've not been able to do before. And so they were just responding to things that were coming, th literally coming through their door. You know, they would be called to A&E to see a patient or, you know, uh, in their outpatients, they, they would see patients. And they had no control over that. And now 
they have become really our biggest advocates. So the, you know, from coming, going from a situation where they were talking, what, what is in it for us? They can really see the value of being able to influence where and when patients are seen and do it in, in, in a clinically safe way. So they can see that actually this way of working is saving them time. And so just to go back to kind of the payment question, if you, if you think what that means, if it saves time for clinicians, it means that for a fixed budget, which is, you know, the situation, this is how trusts are funded now. They have a fixed budget to manage a population. And what they want to do is to manage that population more efficiently. So to be able to make their highest acuity services, so the most expensive services, available to those patients who are going to benefit from it. And really, Synapses allows them to do that. They can really direct patients to where there's capacity or say, you know, this patient doesn't have to come now, you know, but let's schedule them into a same-day emergency care clinic tomorrow morning, for example. And by the way, let me organize the scan for them now so that when they arrive, there's a plan in place. They can see the discussion that we've had, you know, you know, myself as a specialist and, and the GP, and there's a plan already there. So when the patient arrives, the scan's already booked, there's a plan there, and then hopefully they, they'll be able to go home and everything will be able to manage easier so in that situation you know th there's no tariff for the advice you know they don't get a payment for the advice but for their overall service providing that advice even you know without a direct payment for it saves them a huge amount of money and makes their whole system more efficient okay so from the gp's perspective so I understand that. So you've got your specialist saying, okay, I can control my workload. It, you know, like it's better, it's more efficient and the patient gets seen when they need to be seen. If they need to be seen urgently, then we can advise that. So that is a benefit to the GP. Do GPs see that as a benefit? So there is more workload, even obviously the patients come first. So that's you know, we don't have to discuss that. But is the GP saying this is fantastic because now I am doing the consultation uh, with the patient in front of me and now I'm doing advice and guidance and that may be adding time. If we have to wait, if there has to be 24 hours for the specialist to come back, then the emphasis is on the GP to then communicate that back to the patient, which requires more time. Are all GPs saying this is amazing, this is fantastic? Well, so so certainly GPs value getting specialist advice when they need it. I yeah. think, you know, from a clinical position, it, it allows yeah. them to manage risk and to know that they're doing the right thing. And, and sometimes it's, it's just reassurance. But absolutely, the feedback that, that we get and the GPs that we're talking to, absolutely, they love being able to, you know, correspond with their colleagues, get response in a timely way and do the right thing for, for the patients. They, they, there's no doubt about it that, you know, GPs really love that service. Having said that, you know, one of the concerns that, that primary care has is that, sure, you know, there is an element of patients not needing to get secondary care services because they've had advice and the advice is, you know, you can manage this in the community with uh, X and Y. But that is work that needs to be done. And I think this is, you know, what the system is is now beginning to realize 
is that actually, you know, that work doesn't go away. You know, staying in the community doesn't equal no work. It means, you know, more work for primary care often, you know. So what we've developing in, in with the GPs in Norfolk is a model where that work is recognised with a payment. So this is uh, something that's been developed by North Norfolk Primary Care and where there is, you know, say now a payment for an outpatient appointment is, you know, say £150 or so. If that's avoided, there is enough saving there to pay the general practice for that work of, of managing that patient in the community. Plus the system can make a saving. So I think this is the way that advising guidance has to develop is recognizing that, you know, providing advice is the right thing to do. Managing patients in the right setting is the right thing to do. It saves, you know, money for the system because patients are managed in a less expensive environment, but that isn't no work. And I think that that is the really exciting bit, actually, where that extra work is recognized in, in a payment to primary care. I think that has to be the direction of travel. How did that come to light and how did that get shaped, that arrangement, where it, in simplicity terms, kind of money saved is reinvested or that patient care needs to be invested in in a, a different sort of way? How did that come to light? Because we all know that in all kind of, in all services, in all of the pathways, we have these conversations around if patients are not managed here, then they're going to be managed here. Who is going to manage them and how is it going to be funded and resourced appropriately? Well, so I think one of the biggest drivers is kind of, in, you know, entrenched problems. So we know now that, you know, waiting lists are longer than ever. You know, so patients are waiting, you know, as long for specialist care as they have in decades and soon enough it will be maybe as long as it's ever been. We you know there's talk about that it's going to be as bad as it was in the early 90s. So faced with that, things have to be done differently. And in some specialities, there is just no scope to increase capacity. You know, we we you know people are doing as much as they can to increase capacity, but if you don't have those specialists available, then you know th- there's a, a limit to what you can do. Yeah. Um, you know, and add into that social distancing. And, you know, we know there's there's a, a mountain of problems coming. So I think that's where it started, really, from, you know, a, a realisation that things have to be done differently and not in a kind of firefighting kind of way. It has to be done differently in a sustainable way. And really, you know, so I can't claim, or we can't claim any credit for, you know, the model or how, you know, the payment system is changing. So that came from primary care themselves, you know, so our role in that is just facilitating the communication and making okay. sure that, you know, the exchange of information works and the experience works. But but we can't claim any credit for, you know, coming up with that model. Okay. Talking about COVID, how has COVID affected your service? So in a, in a couple of ways, I think. So one is the uh, reality for some specialists of having to shield and wanting, so really being driven by by them wanting to continue to contribute and saying, you know, I'm going to be at home for, for three months or, or whatever, but I want to keep working or I want to be helping my colleagues. And that really has driven, you know, kind of innovative ways of thinking and thinking, actually, yes, 
then why don't we provide palliative care services, for example? You know, why don't we do that using their colleagues that are having to be, be at home? Also, the imperative really to keep patients outside of hospital. It was before it was kind of an economic argument, if you like, you know, the, this idea that, you know, if we're able to keep patients out, ultimately it will cost, it will save money for, for the system. And with COVID, what we saw was absolutely that the hospital specialists were really driving and saying, you know, we need to use synapses more and more because this is a way that we can safely keep patients outside of hospital because there's only so many patients we can see now. And, you know, we have to support our colleagues in the community. And, and there was real concern, you know, about the, the burden and the decisions that would have to be made in the community around, you know, which patients could be transferred to, to the COVID unit and, you know, concerns around the end of life decisions and so on. So that really brought everybody's focus on, you know, how can we extend the reach of specialist care into the community in a way that's scalable, in the way that, you know, not just GPs, by the way, but, but paramedics can be supported, mental health teams in the community can be supported. So really in, in quite a remarkable way, COVID really focused minds on that. And it's just continued actually. So people, you know, have seen the value of that and, and just said, actually, there's more and more that we can do like this. So in, in that sense, COVID has, has really been a driver. And also they just saw the speed at which things can, can change and be configured. I think that, that's the other thing. So thinking about that, how far in advance do you plan when times are quite uncertain? Well, that, that's a really good question. So, you know, I spoke earlier about making good decisions for, for the long term. And really, that's the most important thing in re running a business, really, is to make good. And if you're running a technology business, you have to make good decisions. And we, we have done that. And that has really put us in, in good stead. So, and what I mean by that is we've built a system that's, that's very configurable. So it can operate at a big scale and it can serve lots of different scenarios. So, you know, and, and that took years of investment on our part to, to build that. But when it was called upon you know, during COVID, we were able to respond extremely quickly. So, yeah, in terms of planning, I guess you have to get the right foundations. So the fundamentals right, but you have to be very agile. And, you know, I think the, the biggest thing for us in our journey is to listen to what people want and respond to that. And, you know, making good decisions at the beginning helps you to do that. But, but it's also an attitude. You have to, you know, because with COVID, nobody knew at the beginning what the correct answers were. You know, so we, everybody was, you know, talking and learning and, and understanding how things had to be configured. And, our role in that was to listen and, and to help and to respond. Have you ever made any bad decisions? Because you talk about making good decisions, but sometimes you don't know. You know, like we can all think it's good, but it may turn out to be a mistake. Yeah, so for sure, you know, in our way of developing technology, for example, we factor those things in. So we have an agile approach to working. So we deploy 
and test very rapidly. So th this is something that, you know, when we started working with our customers, they were not expecting, I think. So they were like, so, you know, when are you releasing the new version? And I'm like, well, since we spoke yesterday, we've released 10 versions, you know, like, so we, so we just deploy all the time and we test all the time. And so it's just the speed of iteration is so quick. So, you know, when you talk about mistakes, I guess that is built into certainly to our, our you know, development processes. And, you know, obviously you have safety around that and you have, you know, methods of testing that, that flags those things up. Yeah, so, so you, you prepare for, you know, that you may not have the right answer the first time, but you, you check and, you know, you focus on fundamentals and, you know, when it comes to what we do, you know, safety is fundamental, for example. So, yeah, so we're not precious. So I guess the reason why I, I can't, you know, think particularly of mistakes is because we expect them, you know, we expect them not yeah. to be perfect. Our job is to respond to it. And, you know, we, we're kind of trying to spread this way of thinking to other parts of the business. So around maybe the way we communicate and so on and, and marketing and, and other things that are kind of new is to have this agile approach to that, to that as well. So you come from being an ENT surgeon to being a CEO of a technology company. Where do you learn, and I'm doing quotes, air quotes, where do you learn, where have you learned to be a CEO? Do you have any support? Do you read books? Do you have a coach? Are you part of an accelerator? Yeah, so so all of those things. So this is the second company I run. So the the first company was a much smaller organization, but I learned a lot from that of, you know, the process of developing and having products used. So I learned, so that was a formative experience. So that was kind of an experience from, from doing. But, you know, with Synapsis, it's, you know, a much bigger organization. And yeah, so I started off by reading a lot. So I must have read you know, concertedly for a year before starting Synapsis, because I wanted to understand, I was very clear that this was going to be a long-term commitment for me. I knew, you know, it was going to change my life in some way, uh, which, which it has. So I wanted to go into it with, you know, my eyes open and understand that I was going into the right area. So I spent a year reading, as you say, books and biographies. I think that they're really amazing resources of, you know, experience, somebody else's experience for free without you having to live, live it. Yeah. But then we've been through, you know, accelerated programs. So we were part of Digital Health London Accelerator, so the first cohort uh, of that. We've been through public Scubstart program. And also the community, you know, of, um, you know, other clinicians who've, who've started companies. So, you know, for example, you know, talking to Anas from Patchwork, for example, you know, it's just... You know, I just learned so much from from talking to him. You know, Mark Jenkins from Oviva, for example. Just talking to to people who who you know doing the same thing, innovating, you know, releasing new products, working with the NHS. So the, you know, it's just such a journey, and to you know be able to talk to people who who are doing the same thing is really great and, and a, a real source of support and knowledge. 
Did you sell your first company? We kind of started it, three of us, and I sold to the other two, basically. And they carried on a, a, a company on the, on the back of that. So, yeah, so, you know, that, that was a point in my life where I was kind of not prepared to leave my clinical career. So, you know, and it fulfilled all the objectives that I had in that we had a product that was used by clinicians all over the world and clinicians that I really respected. And, you know, we had a write-up in the Boston Globe, for example. So it fulfilled all the objectives that I had at the beginning. So whenever, whenever I start a project, I always say, you know, this is my objective. And for that, my objective was to build a product that would be used by people I respected. And we absolutely achieved that. And at that point, I, I couldn't commit full-time to developing that. So, you know, my, my part of the company was acquired. Do you see yourself setting up like multiple businesses? Uh, definitely not right now. Okay. <laughs> You're a bit busy. <laughs> um, I definitely, I definitely see myself do, doing, starting another company. Yeah. You know, but I am 100% focused on making synapses. Of course. Serving our, our customers right now. And, and, you know, I can see that for, for certainly the next several years. What is it about business that you love? I like the idea of imagining a better future. So imagining how things could work. And, you know, through focus and persistence and working with, you know, talented people, realizing that. I think that that is just such a gratifying thing. It's a very hard thing. There's no doubt about it. It's, you have to be incredibly tenacious and resilient and resourceful to do it. But I've just got this compulsion to do that. I can't see something that should be better. You know, obviously you can't solve all the problems, but, you know, I've decided to focus on, on this particular problem now. And once I see it and convince myself you know, it's, it's an important problem to solve and I need to, to do it, then it's, I just have to do it. And, and all the effort is worth it. You know, as I say, you know, when I, when clinicians that I respect now, you know, a consultant pediatrician or, you know, a dermatologist or a, you know, an acute medic or using synapses and saying, you know, or you know, GPs as well and saying, you know, this is helping me do my job better or it's saving me time or you know it's it's patients are benefiting from it so that is absolutely worth it you know it sounds really corny to say it, it and I'm hearing it myself doesn't. say it, it but it's it's just the truth it's absolutely gratifying and you know it's just it just makes it worth it thank you so much thank you i really really do appreciate your time i know that you're really busy if people want to find out more about synapsis where can they find you yeah, so they can find us on our website, so www.synapsis.org. Uh, they can follow us on Twitter, MySynapsis, and they can find us on LinkedIn. So, yeah, they can email us as well if they want to. Hello at synapsis.org. Cool. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. 
thank you so much for joining us and if you like what you hear it would be great if you could give us a shout out on social media you can find me on twitter at thc primary care on instagram again at thc primary care or on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you really like it it would be great if you left us an itunes a five star rating and review and i will see you in the next episode 